This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thank you for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and back with us again today is Eric Hernandez. Eric is a commercial real estate agent and a senior vice president and principal with Lee & Associates in Ontario, specializing in industrial real estate. Eric's specialties include active tenant buyer representation, landlord representation, land sales and development, build-to-suit assignments and investment sales and analysis. He's been at it for over 20 years. And Eric, welcome back. When you think of future demand, to me, it looks like California is going to lose migration of people for the foreseeable future. I don't, I don't know, but I would bet that migration of businesses will also follow suit. So you and I had talked before a a day or two ago about future demand for industrial space, and you were pretty optimistic about that. Well, I think the two factors we talked about earlier about, about, you know, being an alternative and, you know, we are the alternative in Southern California. You know, if you want to be in California, in fact, actually the Inland Empire is often the, the destination of last resort before a company actually leaves California, right? Because if you're in Los Angeles, Orange County, you can at least cut your costs if you come to the Inland Empire because our real estate prices are typically cheaper you know, than they are in LA or Orange County. Very often the employers find that Many of their employees already live in the Inland Empire, and they're commuting to LA or Orange County too. So, okay. I think that, and, and the combination of of being close to the ports of LA and Long Beach, you know, all the international trade that happens, and the containers and goods that go back and forth, especially that come in through the ports of LA and Long Beach, those goods have to have a place to go so that they can get broken down and either have some type of value add done to them or you know, picked and packed and then redistributed out to wherever they need to go. And the Inland Empire is the place to be, you know, for the goods movement and logistics industry on the West Coast. And so I I think the future continues to be bright, you know, as far as that growth and development goes for many years to come. One of the people that I respect a lot is Sean O'Toole with Property Radar and uh, usually a intends or is part of a panel at the Nixon library event that we we've had every year for the last 10 years. Oh yeah. I've, I've seen him speak there before. I remember. Yeah. And, um, he's always bringing up stuff I, I've never heard of before. 10 years ago, it was a 3d printer. I like, what the heck is that? And he bought one for his 10 year old son who now has a line of products for air airplanes. So, I mean, He's, he's ahead of the curve. And one of the things he said a few years ago, he says, America's biggest difficulty is how to have a society when half of the people don't have to have a, don't have a job. And so I was, what I wanted to ask you is, what do you see about the future of, of automation and robotics? It, it may take up square footage in an industrial space, but I don't know that it's going to be filled with human beings working. Well, that's an, it's an interesting observation because th- there have been some notable companies that maybe expanded their footprint, say for the you know the size of building they were taking. Um, Skechers is, is a good example exactly. when they relocated out to Marina Valley. And and now I'm speaking secondhand on this, so this this would have to be 
independently verified. But my understanding is, is that the employee count actually went down pretty dramatically when they made that move because of the automation that went into the building. It might've been a reduction in headcount of maybe 30%, maybe even 40% when they made that move. Now, the equipment that they installed at that building is you know, absolutely state of the art. And if you think about the people that were involved to design that system, you know, it's, you know, high level engineering work, right. That mm-hmm. needs to happen. And then, you know, the knowledge that you need to then operate, you know, that machinery and equipment, you know, is also takes a higher skilled level of knowledge or training to be able to work in that. It's not just, um, you know, moving pallets around. And so I think that, or at least I would imagine that the, maybe the pay rate for people working in that building for the higher skilled positions would go up, but maybe the headcount went down. And I think that's probably what we're going to see more of. I know John Husing used to talk about that a lot too, about how the way technology was changing in industrial buildings, that the, you know, the caliber of person that, that you'll have as far as, you know, the training and knowledge. And a lot of that could be on the job training right? Sure. That employees offer to go out and, and find people and then teach them how to use their systems and then hopefully pay them more, you know, to operate, you know, the material handling equipment and all the things that happen in the building to operate it. Uh, but I, I do think that that's happening now where you might see these large industrial buildings and depending on the type of building, you may see less people in them and more technology. Amazon's a good example. One of their two buildings uh, there in Eastvale, actually, it's interesting. One of the buildings has a very high headcount, thousands of people. The other building has thousands of robots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I, I don't want to misquote the number of robots that that someone had told me secondhand was in that building, but I can definitely say that it's in the thousands. The, the, the number, actually, when I first heard it, blew my mind. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I think Sean told me to watch a certain video and it was Amazon's um, system of picking materials uh, for delivery. And the robot goes and pick up, picks up the shelf and delivers the shelf to the person that picks the part off the shelf. And then the robot returns the shelf that he just took out. I and mean, I don't mean just shelf. I talk about the whole, the whole section of shelves gets taken and he's, the robots passing by a hundred other robots doing the same thing, you know, two inches apart, all in a, all in the corridor is kind of crazy. It's just like, Oh my God. Uh, Someone described, actually I've had a few people that have been in those buildings describe it to me. And one said it was like, um, you know, a scene out of star Wars where, you know, all the droids are running around each other. And then um, another one described it as uh, a bunch of Roombas running all over the floor because some of those are actually uh, engineered in a way where they're very strong, where they can actually move around pallets at a time. It's, it's you got to hand it to Amazon for what they've done from a technology perspective. I mean, they are just, they are just so pioneering and ways they've come up with to try to reduce the time it takes to, you know, get it from when you receive the order from the customer to getting it out the door. Yeah. I mean, they, they really, they really changed the world. They have. Um, I want to wrap up with a last question. The expectation is that that things are, you know, it's certainly been a strange year, 
whenever you think about, well, what do you want to do this weekend? We'll go, we'll go out to eat. Oh, oh no, we can't go to ball game. Can't go to movie. So, you know, you're reminded constantly things are different. So the thought about maybe I can get something at a discount uh, for real estate would certainly, would certainly dawn on somebody. So how's that working out for people? So it, it's been an interesting time. I, I've had a few clients out looking to, to buy or rent buildings during this time. And some of them have gotten very aggressive. And I, I don't think anyone else has coined this. So I, I think I'll take credit for it because I've never <laughs> heard anyone say this. But, but, it, but everybody wants what I call the COVID-19% discount, right? <laughs> yeah. They think that the prices came down. I want 19% off. And... I've written some offers that have been very aggressive. I've received more offers on properties I have that were 25 to 40% off of what I was asking. And the landlords uh, looked at me and were like, what are these guys doing? What, why do they think the market has fallen that far, right? Well, if you turn on the television any day over the last, maybe a month ago, right? You know, two months ago, it felt like everything should be on sale. And retail kind of came to a standstill. Office deals were actually happening during that time. There were some very large industrial deals that actually got signed during that time that could have easily been put on hold. Uh, one was a really large deal in um, Norco, where a uh, goalie, they're like a large vitamin, uh, multivitamin gummy company. Right. They advertised mm-hmm. on television. They leased a four building, you know, several hundred thousand square foot complex in Norco, brand new construction. And they, they basically turned it into a manufacturing campus for all of their vitamins, you know, corporate headquarters expansion here in California. And it was a very notable deal. And that got signed during the middle of this, you know, stay at home order. That deal could have easily been put on hold. No one would have faulted anybody for saying, you know what, we're, we're just going to wait a few months and see how this shakes out because this is a big investment for us to make this move. No, they, they had to do something and their business was growing and, and they made a very large substantial investment and commitment to move forward. And so deals like that, you know, were happening during that time. So here's an interesting thing that on the industrial side I can speak to the level of product and inventory that started to accumulate during this time is really interesting. So I'll I'll give you an example. Let's use anything that was sold in a retail store, like furniture or apparel and clothing is another good example. Okay. Uh, A client of mine had put a a small space, about a hundred thousand square foot space on the market for sublease. And this was right before COVID happened, maybe a month before. And we put on the market, we had some activity, COVID happened and everything went silent, right? Now, the client occupies, you know, this is part of a larger building, about 400,000 square feet. So they leased it long-term. They had about 25% of the building that they expected to grow into in maybe 12 to 18 months. So they were going to sublease it out to somebody. Well, during that time, all the the team on the logistics side who had worked at Amazon and some other large distribution companies were all telling me that their phone was ringing off the hook because everyone they knew in the industry was calling looking for overflow space. So all these companies that had clothing or furniture or things that they thought they were going to sell wasn't moving. 
Hmm, right? right. And so because we now operate in a time of, you know, kind of this just in time inventory, but things don't turn and you have more product coming in, you know, from overseas or locally here, you have to have a place to put it. Like oil. And so <laughs> like, like, like oil or, or whatever, oil, that's a whole oil, nother story, right? Yeah. Minus $25 a barrel. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's, yeah, I, I could go on about that, but so here's what happens. Large apparel, you know, retailer, you know, name brand, household name, tracks down my client uh, through, through a relationship they had. And they had, I, I don't want to speculate on the exact value of the inventory. I would just say that it's in the tens of millions of dollars minimum. Wow. And they basically had their spring 2020 collection, right? Clothing and bags and things like that, that they weren't able to sell. And they decided to store it for nine months and basically lock it up and next year they'll bring it back out of the warehouse and put it in retail stores and it'll be their spring 2021 collection. Okay. <laughs> That's better and that than was, this guy. That was a cheaper, cheaper alternative than for them to just completely liquidate this brand new inventory that, that, you know, they weren't able to sell during this time. And so there's a lot of that happening. And on top of that, I think, both anecdotally and firsthand I've heard from clients of mine that people are going to want to keep a little more inventory on hand, you know, so that if there are any future supply chain disruptions, that you've got the inventory already sitting in the warehouse and you're not waiting for, um, you know, someone in the supply chain to bring you the part that you need so that you can make whatever device or, or thing that you sell, you know, into, you know, the end, you know, consumer, customer, whoever it is, you know, there's what's that old poem, uh, my kingdom for a nail. Yeah. You ever heard that one? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think of like, uh, during this time, there was a an article I remember reading about, uh, that new SUV that, uh, uh, the Palisade really hot SUV and they couldn't make any more because there was this supply chain problem somewhere. I, I believe it was Dulocks where they were coming from somewhere in China and the factory had been shut down. So imagine you can't make a car because you don't have the door locking mechanism to complete the car. Right. <laughs> you're, you're on hold, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're the car manufacturer, you're probably looking at everybody going, Hey, we need a six month supply of door lock and windows and doors and think of everything that goes into a car because that was a really popular car and they couldn't, they, they ran out mm. because they couldn't sell any because they couldn't, it was Hyundai. That's who it was because the supply chain had had that type of disruption. Think of, I mean, the thousands of parts that come from different suppliers that go into the making of a car or a ventilator or take your pick of sophisticated equipment, you can't afford to run out of, you know, door locks or, or whatever the equipment or piece or part is so that you can't finish your product. And so I think that's going to have an interesting effect on the demand for industrial real estate over the next few years. Even if you increased you know, that footprint by 5% in let's say Southern California, now that could have an impact of 30 to 
maybe 50 million square feet footprint wise of additional real estate that's needed to store that additional inventory. Now I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, right? Because we're, you know, we're spitballing a, a little bit, but it's pretty easy to imagine how that could happen. And so going back to your question about people looking for discounts on real estate, a lot of people have been looking for that COVID 19% discount. I think there will be a few deals that, that go down that go down and maybe a, a discounted price versus where the market thought they were going to go down at. But I don't think we're going to see the type of, you know, distressed or discounted pricing, certainly for industrial real estate that, you know, might've been conventional wisdom two months ago. That's for sure. I would imagine too, because of the coronavirus, you might in fact get more manufacturing of things like medicines that show up back up in the United that, States instead of uh, we rely on foreign countries to send it to us. That's, that's a whole other thing that I'm not even sure people have wrapped their head around. You know, we've sent, you know, companies and, and manufacturing facilities overseas now for going on 20 something years to, to China and then they transition to Vietnam and other places. And I didn't realize even until during all of this, when you see these statistics about the high percentage of our really important medicines that are made overseas. Yeah. I mean, scary. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I, I, if I was sitting in a room and, and they were talking about that, I would just look around and say, you know what? We need to bring that percentage down to zero right? Uh, 100% of any medicines that we need should be made in the USA, period. Yeah. And I we think, should not have to have a supply chain risk on taking care of people in our country. Exactly. And especially if somebody could do, do something intentionally to say, well, you know, you're not going to get it. That's, that's unthinkable. And to put ourselves in that position is, is not smart. So I do think there'll be some ramifications no. of that. You know, I, I think there are certain things that, that just for national security or being pragmatic should be brought back just because, you know, medicine is a great example. Here's another one. How about cell phones? Right. Right. Think of, you know, I'm, I'm on my iPhone right now. What would happen if, if Apple came out and said, gosh, you know, in fact, I think this actually happened already with them on a phone that they thought they were going to produce and they delayed it. But what if Apple said, gosh, we can't make cell phones for three or six months because of some supply chain problem? Mm -hmm. I mean, how much time do we all spend on our phones every day? Imagine if your phone broke and you couldn't go get a new one. I mean, it's, I know that's inconceivable right now, right? So I'm, we're maybe stretching how far that might go. But again, if I was sitting in a room, I'd tap Apple on the shoulder and say, hey, we need you to come back to America and at least build one plant in the United States where, you know, directly or, or they use Foxconn, you know, as their supplier to build a factory in the United States that could make iPhones. I see, I see that coming back. I really do. I hope it does. I mean, I think that that, that would be great for jobs here in the United States right. as well. You know, a lot of people, unless you, lived in a lot of these towns that, that that were really gutted over the last 20 years when a lot of the manufacturing jobs were sent overseas. Um, you don't realize maybe the impact that that had over time. Now, some of those cities have really transitioned and made a comeback, and in some areas have never fully recovered. And so when you look at 
you know, these glistening new cities in China, um, which, which more power to them, right. For what they've been able to accomplish, but that's been built, I think a little bit at the expense of some of that development and investment that could have happened in the United States, you know, here's an interesting statistic. Now we're seeing the result of that. Here's an interesting statistic and we got to wrap up. Um, in three in three years, China used more concrete, poured more concrete than the United States did in the 100-year period during the Industrial Revolution. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, you know me. That is, that is amazing. Yeah, when I saw those charts, I was like, oh, my gosh. That is completely nuts. Eric, hey, I really enjoyed talking with you again. And... Uh, yeah, we'll maybe do it at the end of the year because again, this is this could change, uh, be a game changer. I have some tax law changes, hopefully not, but uh, we'll touch base maybe toward the end of the year and see uh, see how well, things are going. Remind me um, when we chat at the end of the year, and I've I've talked about this with clients and, and partners of mine. I believe I'm up to eight or nine trillion dollars that the United States has come up with. And I, I, I'm, I'll have to get some detail and get back to you. But when you look at the amount of money that is being dropped uh, from the helicopter, if you will, from the federal government, the treasury, the federal reserve, I mean, it really is an unprecedented in time that we've gone through between, you know, the, the TPP program, the federal reserve and treasury, you know, putting together their, I think it was four or $500 billion fund to leverage that to $4.5 trillion for a main street lending facility. Um, you know, the, the amount of unemployment benefits that we've extended, which, you know, we should have done, of course, but the amount of money that is being passed out right now dwarfs, dwarfs what happened during the great recession, you know, in 2009. Oh, it's that, really staggering. It is. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out over the course of the rest of the year, I'll, I'll admit, I don't know how it's going to play out. You know, real estate next year, it could, it could be down. It wouldn't surprise me. And it wouldn't surprise me if prices were higher as well with the way interest rates have been kept low. And, you know, they came out this week and said they're going to keep them low for a long time, at least until 2022. It's just amazing. Yeah. So you'll have a couple percent interest rate on a 30 year mortgage for uh, quite a while. It'll, it's going to be interesting. I've, I've got to think about all that stuff too. Eric, uh, if we have people that are interested in industrial space, tell them how uh, they can get a hold of you. So uh, I'm a principal at, uh, here at Lean Associates in Ontario, and you can give me a call uh, at 909-373-2934. Okay. All right. Or, or send, me, uh, send me an email at erik at lee-assoc.com. Okay. All right, Eric, thanks for joining us. You have yourself a great afternoon. Always great to catch up with you, Bruce. Take All right. care. All right, Eric, thanks. Bye-bye. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to the norrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.
For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com.